to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity at Trinity International University. I'm Matthew Epinet, Executive Director of the Center. In this edition of the podcast, scientist David Prentice provides an overview of prenatal diagnosis methods, accuracy, availability, and use. This talk was presented as part of a 2013 conference hosted here on the Trinity campus and entitled Managing an Unexpected Prenatal Diagnosis, Critical Considerations for Counselors, Clinicians, and Friends. Videos from this and a number of other conferences, events, workshops, and consultations are available through our website, cbhd.org, under the Other Events tab, as well as on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash bioethicscenter. Speaking of events, we've extended the early bird registration deadline for our upcoming Bioethics in the Body conference to March 31st. Early bird registration provides a $50 discount, and we want to be sure as many people as possible are able to take advantage of this savings. Also, I'm grateful to be able to announce that Carter Sneed, who is the director of the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture and professor of both law and political science at the University of Notre Dame, as well as the author of the truly excellent book, What It Means to Be Human, The Case for the Body in Public Bioethics, which was published last year by Harvard University Press, will be delivering the closing plenary lecture of our conference. For more information about the Bioethics in the Body Conference, which will be held online June 24 through 26, and to secure your early bird registration, visit cbhd.org and click on Conference at the top of the page. David Prentice, Ph.D., is the speaker featured in this edition of the podcast. Dr. Prentice is well known for his rigorous scientific defense of human life at every stage, and we're always grateful for opportunities to have him speak at our conferences and gatherings. At the time this talk was given, Dr. Prentice was Senior Fellow for Life Sciences at the Family Research Council. He is currently Vice President and Research Director at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Here is Prenatal Diagnosis an overview of testing methods, their accuracy, availability, and use. Well, as Mark mentioned, I'm going to give you sort of an overview at this point uh, in terms of prenatal testing. It's not necessarily prenatal diagnosis. Let's come back to this idea of prenatal testing because we're moving towards a future, very rapidly in fact, where it's not going to be diagnosis of disease or disease genes, but also non-disease traits. And uh, there's a mindset associated with these types of prenatal testing and results. Here's that attitude from Bob Edwards, who was the doctor who created the first test tube baby. Soon it will be a sin, interesting choice of words, soon it will be a sin for parents to have a child that carries the heavy burden of genetic disease. We're entering a world where we have to consider the quality of our children. And so we're looking at a mindset here where children aren't created in terms of love. They're created essentially as a commodity. And there's the push towards the perfect child. Uh, this is a page from the journal Nature, one of the two leading scientific journals in the world a few years ago. Interesting title to this article, Your Destiny from Day One. I just want to set the stage and make sure we all understand that biologically that is when all of our lives started. 
at day one, at fertilization or conception. Uh, we're going to look at some other possible ways to create embryos in the future or that have already been used in some cases for human beings. But day one, that single-celled embryo, that is a human being. And it's from that point on, then, that uh, Bob Edwards would say we have to consider what we are manufacturing. What kinds of genetic tests do we need to run on this young individual to make sure we've got what we really want? And of course, as development proceeds, you start looking to look more and more like what you might think of as a human being, but still, from day one, your destiny from day one, from that single-celled embryo, you've begun. Another interesting quote from David Baltimore, uh, Nobel laureate, in relation to the cloning debate that was going on a few years ago, he said, some kinds of disabilities develop during the process of attempting reproductive cloning, and we don't know how to control those, so we shouldn't be doing it in terms of the reproductive cloning aspect. And then an interesting phrase, we don't want to bring more defective people into the world. Again, this mindset that we're after the perfect ch child, we have to make sure the genetics is all correct, so that physically, mentally, in whatever capacity we can test, we have this right product, this right individual. When we start talking about genetic screening, there are lots of different levels that you can go at. You can do genetic screening at a population level, for diagnostics, of course, and that is primarily what's been used up to this point. Carrier screening to see if someone is a carrier for a certain type of genetic disease. Newborn screening is done routinely now. Different numbers of tests done at birth, depending on the particular state, but a number of different tests are carried out. We're going to be talking primarily about, even earlier now, prenatal screening when you're still in the womb. You can also do pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, little IVF or test tube embryos still in the dish, not even yet in the womb, but being genetically analyzed. And what are you testing for? Well, again, most of the focus is on disease traits. A whole chromosome, part of a chromosome, a certain gene or pair of genes that might not be normal, whatever normal happens to be. Checking for carrier status again. But then you start to move away from what we normally would think about in terms of this testing, predisposition where someone is simply predisposed, but there are a number of other events that have to occur before this individual would acquire this trait, be it disease or non-disease, and then non-disease traits themselves. The idea of the designer baby, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. The idea that you're going to, again, check the genetics of this individual and their concerns, of course, about informed consent. has to be for the parents, obviously, if we're talking about prenatally, but confidentiality of the genetic testing, employment and insurance discrimination. A few years ago, Congress passed the Genetic uh, Information Non-Discrimination Act, non Act, GINA, which supposedly would prevent a company, an employer, or an insurance company from using your genetic information against you, but there are a lot of holes in that at this point. The stigmatization that might occur if someone has a particular gene you know, you might be screening for predisposition to become a university professor, and that might be one that you would want to screen against. And then the whole idea of eugenics. Again, you're after, you know, the perfect individual here. And you're selecting against, a nice way to put it, 
those who don't have the right DNA content. Well, most of the focus tends to be on Down syndrome. Here, karyotype on the left, the normal human karyotype for the chromosomes, and the Down karyotype on the right with the extra trisomy 21. But there are a number of different chromosomal problems that can crop up. Downs happen to be the most common and hence the most recognized, but you have other trisomies, trisomy 18, which is Edwards syndrome, uh, little Bella Santorum, Santorum's daughter has Edwards syndrome. She's now turned five years old. Trisomy 13, Patau syndrome. These don't occur at near the rate that Down does, but you still see individuals with these trisomies that are born, and you see tests now coming along essentially to select against them. And then other types of trisomies with the sex chromosomes, the double Y, the Kleinfelder, trisomy X, and Turner. Usually you don't see selection against these, but you might in some cases where people are doing the karyotype say, well, you know, I don't want this particular individual. How are most of these tests done? Well, this is sort of the usual or standard test, amniocentesis, that's done. You can see from the diagram, a needle is inserted into the amniotic sac. A little bit of amniotic fluid is taken out. There are some fetal cells floating in that amniotic fluid. Cells are grown in the lab, and you do the chromosomal karyotype to see what chromosomes are there. If you have the normal number, if you have extra, if you have fewer, or even if there are chromosomal breakages and parts of chromosomes can be detected in this way. Amniocentesis typically tends to be done between about 15 to 18 weeks gestation. You're putting a needle right into the amniotic sac next to the baby. There is a certain rate of pregnancy loss, of miscarriage that happens. And I've seen numbers anywhere from 0.2 to 0.8% increased rates. Varies depending on the study you're looking at. But there is a risk for something like that to occur when you're doing this sort of thing. Chorionic villus sampling, sometimes done a little earlier, about 10 to 12 weeks or slightly later. Now you're not going quite all the way into the amniotic sac, but you're sampling cells at the placenta. Hopefully you're getting them on the fetal side. And the idea is, again, the same, so that you would take some of these fetal cells, grow them in the lab, and then do your chromosomal karyotype. You're looking for whole chromosomal defects or counts, differences in number, or breakages, or parts of chromosomes. And here, here are the targets. On the left, an individual who's eight weeks, which is about the earliest now that even the DNA test can start to look at certain genetic problems, and up to about 20 weeks. You might be aware of uh, some of the legislation that's passed in states recently, where it would not allow abortion after 20 weeks. But you're looking now at a range here in terms of gestational age that are essentially the range where these tests are done prenatally. I did want to mention again this preimplantation genetic diagnosis. Much earlier on, now we're looking at just a few days after conception, you are still in the dish, if you will, instead of in the womb. And the typical thing, as you can see from the micrographs, maybe you can't, it's a little, little dark there, 
that about an eight cell embryo, you come in and you pluck off one of these cells and you do the genetic analysis on that cell that you've removed. And it can be a very exhaustive genetic analysis. Instead of just looking for chromosomal aberrations, you might be looking for an array of different genes that are or aren't present. The theory is that by taking that one cell off, the embryo is still young enough that it can sort of regulate its own development without any harm, that you do not harm or kill the embryo. And these are sort of the advertisements, in fact, that are usually done, that we can do this, we can check the gender of your baby, we can check for various genetic problems and so on. You can also select for or against different individuals based on that. You need to keep that in mind. But it doesn't harm the embryo, and once we find the one that we're after, we will put that one in the womb. Well, if you look at the data, there's still a number of these little ones that don't survive that process. I mean, and you think about it just uh, from a common sense standpoint, if we plucked an eighth of you off, you'd probably feel it. When we talk about selection, there was an interesting article I came across, how to buy a daughter. So we're starting to look at using these to select, these tests to select for certain genders. In this case, primarily in uh, the U.S. and some Western countries, they might want the daughter. You'll see things about family balancing so that they can have equal numbers of boys and girls. If you look to countries like India and China, their preference is for the son. Especially in China, with the one-child policy, they have to have that heir. They want the son, and so there's a huge number of abortions that occur in those countries. Prenatal tests for gender. Here's an, uh, a website where they're advertising their test. It's the non-invasive prenatal DNA test. So now we're talking about using a little bit of maternal blood so that you don't even approach the child with the needle. But some fetal DNA ends up in the maternal circulatory system. So you can go in, you can take that sample of blood, you can start analyzing for copy number of chromosomes, or eventually they're on the way to looking at specific genes. These tests, uh, this one is as early as 10 weeks to try and determine the gender. This particular paper, they were claiming up to seven weeks, as early as seven weeks, that they could do this non-invasive sex determination test. It's again cell-free fetal DNA. So this is DNA that's gotten into the maternal circulation. It's not whole cells. There are fetal cells that do end up in the circulation, uh, may actually contribute uh, to the mother's stem cell repertoire later on. It's a whole separate lecture. But we're looking at the DNA now in the maternal circulation, but it's the baby's DNA that is now circulating around. And in fact, this reference said as early as six weeks that they could get. Now, not with as great of accuracy, but they could start to detect the fetal gender and do the selections. And it is a selection. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had this article, The War Against Girls. And in fact, Center for Bioethics, Bioethics and Human Dignity, our hosts, have started a program and a website called Her Dignity. You can go to herdignity.net and look at some of the problems that are faced in terms of this war on women. This is the real war on women, where all of the abortions take place and the other things that are going on. So let's talk more about the, quote, disease traits or syndromes, the extra chromosomes and so on, 
New England Journal of Medicine article from a few years ago, first trimester or second trimester screening, or both for Down syndrome. And the recommendation is moving towards every pregnant woman should be screened using these non-invasive tests, the maternal blood with the, the fetal DNA circulating on it. At this point in time, that's not the case. But there is some pressure that every woman undergo this sort of testing. That could be done first trimester. And then later on, if it looks like there's some problem or there was a difficulty in detection, you go back and perhaps follow up with the amniocentesis or the chorionic villus sampling. Trends in the Down syndrome live births. This is a paper out of England where they were looking at this. And basically what they found was that they didn't see as many Down syndrome baby births as they expected as these tests started to come into place. Now, I wonder why that would be. It's because you're selecting against them. They are targets here, eugenic testing targets against these little Down syndrome babies. And they could show that you didn't get the expected number of Down births. In fact, they had expected to see an increase because more women were having babies later and later. So increased risk of more Down babies, they saw a decrease. Non-invasive assessment, and there are different tests that have come up here. There are actually four different companies that are now bringing these prenatal DNA tests to the market, marketing them to parents, expectant parents, as well as the doctors. You really should do this sort of test, this prenatal test. There are different ways to look at that fetal DNA. This uses an actual sequencing. We won't go into the, the details on the test, but this actually uses a sequencing type mechanism called PCR to go through and look at specific DNA sequences. And you're looking in this case, because you're looking to see whether there's the trisomy, you're looking at just number of copies of particular genes representing different chromosomes that you would see. But you do this by a sequencing method. This particular one used what they call DNA methylation ratio. There are certain residues, certain nucleotides on the DNA sequence that get methyl groups added to them. And they're specific for certain specific genes at this point in development. And so what they're looking at is they can compare and differentiate between mom's DNA and the baby's DNA that's in the maternal circulation. And then they can look again at relative numbers. So do you have what should represent two copies of chromosome 21? Or do you have enough that now you're seeing for three copies? The leading company that has come out, and the first one that came out with the commercial test is called Sequinom. Here is their, their little advertisement that they were announcing the launch of this test. They call it Materni T21, because they're looking in for this particular test, the first one that came out at trisomy 21, non-invasive test for Down syndrome. So they launched it out, they set it out, and so on. But they're continuing to try to develop new tests as well for other sorts of chromosomal aberrations in number or for even particular gene changes. And so here was a, a study where they're actually announcing trisomy 18, trisomy 13, Patau and Edwards syndrome. So now you could kind of get this package deal with their test. We could test for Downs, and we could test for these other two trisomies 
because we've shown that we can do it very accurately and be able to target looking for those trisomies. I might mention that the percentage uh, in terms of false positives is fairly low. It's a fairly accurate test when they're starting to look at these DNA sequences. On the order of 98, even 99%, in some cases even better as they're developing specific tests. So it's a pretty accurate test to detect your target. And again, uh, trying to move this more mainstream in the UK, here was a study uh, where they were testing for fetal trisomies, routinely screened, first trimester, they were starting to use these tests more and more. Everybody who came up with a positive on this test elected abortion. 100% of the Downs babies that were identified were aborted. Started to show up now more in the popular press, and you see actually a little bit of angst out there in terms of these tests, how they're going to be used, and so on. Tough calls on prenatal tests, uh, an article that was in the Wall Street Journal where it's talking about, you know, should parents go have this test done? What's going to happen? How is it going to be used? Well, we pretty much know how it's almost always used. It's almost always used to terminate the pregnancy. But parents wondering whether they should have the test done or not. The bleak new world of prenatal genetics, written actually by a couple of um, pro-choice feminists who actually have a lot of concern about these DNA tests and how they're going to be used in the population. And they actually talk about problems in terms of what will be considered normal. I wanted to read you this uh, quote from this paper. The tests have the potential to transform women's experience of early pregnancy reduce the number of people with Down syndrome, and reinforce the assumption that Down syndrome is a dread disease to be prevented. Ultimately, these tests could dramatically reshape our understanding of what it means to be healthy and normal. Because they're starting with Down syndrome, going on to the other trisomies. Next, we'll see some of the other chromosomal breakages or duplications and things you see. But then it will continue to roll and more and more sorts of genetic tests will be added in and people will be encouraged to do that sort of screening. Uh, it's interesting in the Washington DC area you can hear on the radio these advertisements from a couple of the fertility clinics in the area basically guaranteeing a baby but also guaranteeing a healthy baby because they are talking about adding in they're doing the IVF adding in that pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to make sure that you don't have any of those problems and so you can have the nice, healthy child that you're after. And it's interesting, of course, now because it's in the commercial realm that these companies are fighting over who has patent rights and, and who can legally market the tests and so on. But you see it actually coming up now in terms of even just the four companies. There are more, more of these things coming. Uh, and, as I said, eventually going not just to trisomies for the chromosomes or bits of chromosomes, but specific genes. And so this particular paper talks about prenatal measurement of the entire fetal genome. So eventually coming to the point where we would screen 
every pregnant, every pregnancy, every baby, to make sure they've got you know that nice set of genetics that you like. Nobel laureate James Watson, Watson and Crick, uh, DNA Helix had this to say: If we could make better human beings by knowing how to add genes, why shouldn't we do it? The idea of designer babies and so on and uh, some of you might have seen the movie Gattaca, where the whole idea here was it's a futuristic society where if you really want to give your kids the best leg up, you design them genetically. Starting in the IVF clinic, uh, there's a scene, in fact, where the parents come in and the technician says, well, we've got two boys and two girls here, and I took the liberty of deleting these particular genes and adding in and enhancing these two genes and so on. It's not that far-fetched. We're not that far away from doing these sorts of things. Once you've come up with better and better ways to screen and thereby select for or against certain genetic traits, then it becomes a matter of starting to do gene additions or corrections. And we've already seen some examples of this, exactly. Uh, in fact, the paper that uh, Mark was announcing in terms of doing away with the, the extra chromosome, or at least silencing it, did it by a gene addition sequence where they took a particular gene, copied it, changed it just slightly so they could turn it on, and put it into, added it to, chromosome 21, the extra chromosome 21. We've seen postnatal genetic engineering of individuals, and we're starting to look at examples coming very soon where we will see the prenatal type of genetic addition. It was already mentioned in terms of the gene microarrays and so on, of being able to measure hundreds and thousands of genes at once so that you can do your screening very rapidly and quickly on a lot of different targets. And here's a list that you might not even be able to read because there's so many on the list, but here are currently available DNA-based gene tests. This is just a sample. This isn't the total number. And so as you start to move beyond whole chromosome detection and trisomies or parts of whole chromosomes, you're coming towards this where you will be screening for various different disease genes, Tay-Sachs, thalassemias, uh, polycystic kidney, dystonia, cystic fibrosis. The list just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every week. But now you'll also be moving towards not just selecting against these individuals, a polite way to say we're just going to kill them off and not let them be born, but now, well, we've got to correct them. And it may seem far-fetched, but people are looking at even behavioral types of genetics. Are political orientations genetically transmitted? This was a serious paper. Now, we'll laugh about it at this point, but you see a paper like this come out almost every week, where they say, well, we've got a correlation of this gene with, and it's some behavioral trait. It's not a genetic disease. It's not a sort of a, a trisomy, a chromosomal count number, uh, but it's, it's a matter of now moving on towards those non-disease traits that I talked about before, where it's not just, well, this disease and we need to get rid of this disease. 
It's this trait. It's this behavior. It's this something that somebody, at least, considers to be negative, and we're going to have to select against it. And, of course, then the question is, who's deciding whether it's a negative or a positive trait? Uh, an article about, is there a liberal gene? Well, if there's a liberal gene, is there a conservative gene, is there an independent gene, is there a conservative independent, you know, you'll get into all these things, but it'll also be a matter of, well, I want my child to have this, or I don't want them to have that, or we've done the genetic testing on all of you people in this room, and we know you folks over here, it sounds far-fetched, but we're sliding down that proverbial slippery slope towards this, and we're talking now about selecting against and screening for or against Down syndrome and Edwards syndrome and Patau. But it'll be coming to all of these other places soon as well. Still a little bit of thunder from some of the other presenters. Mark Leach will talk to you more about this whole aspect later on. But I did want to mention, you know, what's, what's sort of the, the legislative landscape out there. And this is pretty much it on the federal level. And it's not much at all. A few years ago, uh, then-Senator Brownback and Senator Kennedy got this bill through. The Prenatally and Postnatally Diagnosed Conditions Awareness Act. Now, basically all it said, it was trying to meet the challenge that when individuals are diagnosed with Downs or some of these other conditions, they're usually aborted. And the only choice that the parents are given is abortion. They're not even told of any other possibilities or of the support nets that are out there and so on, which you'll hear about in detail later. And so the bill was aimed to try and say, look, we do need to tell these expectant parents that there are other opportunities and possibilities and supports and so on out there. The bill got passed and signed into law. I don't think anything ever happened to it as far as implementation. On the state level, North Dakota, this past legislative session, passed the first state legislation that would ban abortion based on genetic abnormality. It was actually a bill that banned abortion based on sex selection, as well as genetic abnormality. And it was interesting, I testified on this bill. A colleague and I from FRC went up there and testified a couple of times on this and some other bills. And you start just talking about the basic numbers, which you're going to hear about here in a little bit. And the legislators had no idea, no idea, that, and you get different numbers, as, as Mark had told you, anywhere from something like 60, 70, 90, 96 percent of Down syndrome babies that are aborted. And they said, I don't believe that. Well, we had the published references to show them where they had done these sorts of things. And the U.S., like Mark says, isn't as good as keeping those records, but there were some records there, or obviously other countries. They couldn't believe this. But of course, when you presented them with the facts, they go, well, that just shouldn't be. You shouldn't be just killing these young people simply because they've got an extra chromosome. So this is kind of where the, the scientific community is. Now, currently, the screening is done starting to move more into the DNA-based, the so-called non-invasive prenatal screening, where you're looking for the fetal DNA, again, in the maternal circulation, but also whether we're talking about amniocentesis, 
chorionic villus sampling, and so on. They're looking to see about that third chromosome, whether it's present or not. And then very often, the choice is simply you need to terminate the pregnancy. But we're also going to be hearing some examples of treatments and possible ways to ameliorate these conditions. And so the idea that once that screening comes back and shows whether it's a trisomy 21 or something else, there may be possibilities to go in and make some changes, either before or after this individual's born. In terms of some of those repair, again, still in a little bit from one of the other presenters that's coming up, there are types of surgical repair, not talking about chromosomal abnormalities so much, but in terms of just what are, are generally called teratologies or birth defects, but problems in terms of development that can be corrected surgically, sometimes better in the womb than before. You've probably all seen the uh, little hand of little Samuel reaching out of the womb during his fetal surgery and grabbing the finger of the doc. More and more of that being done. Stem cell and genetic therapies prenatally that they're talking about now. They have already done some adult stem cell, not embryonic, but adult stem cell transplants for certain types of conditions, including severe combined immunodeficiency syndrome. They're looking at potentially doing some genetic therapies or genetic engineering and so on. All of those at this point have been after birth rather than before. But the idea is out there. We're moving in that direction as well. What we're really talking about, though, when we start talking about screening and genetic screening and, and how it's being used and so on, the real basic question we have to come back and ask is, what does it mean to be human? You know, who counts? Who counts as a human being of worth? Are any of us a person or just a piece of property? Are we going to be manufacturing individuals, designer babies, so to speak? Or you know, do we value each and every human being simply because they're human? Whether they've got an extra chromosome or two or not. To whom are we going to choose to assign these values? Will it be based on your chromosome score or your genetic score? When they come to the point where they can start screening all of these genes and deciding which are good or bad, and then are we all going to be screened and get just a value number based on that score? Who's going to benefit from these kinds of tests and screenings, and who's going to decide how it's done? Now, early on, uh, if you remember, one of the first slides I showed had your destiny from day one. And it was from a biological viewpoint, and you had the little single-celled embryo. Here's another view of your destiny from day one. I praise thee because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The eyes beheld my unformed substance. I had uh, uh, one Hebrew scholar tell me that could be translated from the original Hebrew as embryo. I beheld my embryo. In that book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We are each individuals of incalculable value. And we need to value each and every life. Thank you for your time. That was prenatal diagnosis, an overview of testing methods, their accuracy, 
Availability and Use by David Prentice, Ph.D. This talk was presented as part of a 2013 conference entitled Managing an Unexpected Prenatal Diagnosis, Critical Considerations for Counselors, Clinicians, and Friends. Videos from this and a number of other of our conferences, events, workshops, and consultations are available through our website, cbhd.org, under the Other Events tab, as well as on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash bioethicscenter. Remember that the early bird registration discount for our Bioethics and the Body Conference has been extended to March 31st. For more information about and to register for the Bioethics and the Body Conference, visit cbhd.org and click on Conference at the top of the page. You've been listening to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, copyright 2021, all rights reserved. The Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity is a Christian bioethics research center at Trinity International University, exploring the nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Our website, cbhd.org, has a wealth of materials on a wide range of bioethical issues. For more information about the center and to support the work of the center and projects like this podcast, please visit our website, cbhd.org. All post-production for the Bioethics Podcast is done by CBHD Communications and Marketing Manager, Annalise Troll. My name is Matthew Epinen, and I'm the Executive Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Thank you for listening to the Bioethics Podcast. 